Exodus chapter number 20 and uh, verses 1 through 21. Whenever you know a law or whenever uh, some of you, and uh, I think there's somebody in here that just took their driving test. And uh, how many of you remember you're taking the driving test? Uh, Wasn't that fun? Yes, no, maybe. Uh, the driving test. It's a fun thing. I remember I was uh, about 15 years old and I was taking uh, all my driver education. And, um, and you know, my parents were the type that, uh, you know, my, some of my friends got to go to the private class and everything. But my public school offered a free driving education class. And my mom was like, I ain't paying for that. All right, so you're going to the free one. And, uh, and so I didn't get my license on time like some of my other, you know, or whatever you consider timing it is. And, but I can remember all the laws that were there and all the things and learning the, the ins and outs of driving. Uh, and, uh, and they do that is to make you responsible for the traffic laws, the traffic laws. And when you know the traffic law, then you become responsible to it. You become responsible to it. You're, 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 you're required to uphold it because you know it. Uh, and we all, now that we've heard, we've read, and we've probably had it in the past, and, uh, but when we read and understand and believe and begin to see more and more of God's holy word, we now have a responsibility to not only hear it, but also to obey it. Uh, we have a responsibility to hear it and obey it. Psalms, or excuse me, Psalm 19, verse number 7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect. It's perfect. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And the question we have to ask ourselves tonight is this, will we hear and obey God's word, or will we not hear and refuse to obey? Perhaps one of the most well-known facts concerning Moses is the Ten Commandments. I mean, there was a movie made about it, right? I mean, come on. I mean, I mean, come on. So uh, that's, there's not a whole lot that people might know about Moses' life, but one thing's for sure, if you were to say, uh, what do you know about Moses? They would probably tell you either the Red Sea or the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Red Sea or the Ten Commandments. Uh, And whenever you read this scene here, you probably, if you're familiar at all with the Ten Commandments, or maybe you're familiar with the movie or anything like that, or what you've seen on TV or anything, or what you've seen maybe in uh, in children's church or wherever it was, you're probably thinking of uh, two tables of stone, right? And you're thinking of Moses walking down the mountain, right? And he's got these two big tables of stone right there with uh, numbers one through four on one, maybe in five and six through ten on the other, or whatever, it, however it was. And and uh, you might even uh, your mind might even take you a step further, and you might think to yourself, "All right, I, I not only see the two tables of stone, but I also remember like." Moses got mad, didn't he, because the people were were sinning, and he and he takes the stones, and, and what does he do with those? Anybody remember? He throws them down and he breaks them. All right. And so when we think about the Ten Commandments, I, I think that oftentimes our minds rush right into, that scenario, that, right into that scenario. But if you're anything like me, you did. When studying this passage and just thinking through it, you know, thinking of Moses, you know, two huge things, <laughs> tablets of stone. But you realize that Exodus chapter number 20, that's not the scene whatsoever. 
There are no tables of stone. There is no Moses on a mountain. There is no sin in the camp. There's no golden calf yet, all right? There's none of that. None of that has happened at all. In this passage right here, literally, as, uh, as Luke was uh, explaining there before he read, literally, it is Moses and all the people are standing before God who has, uh, who has come down on the mount with thunderings and quakings and lightnings and fire and smoke, and it is God speaking to the children of Israel. As it says in verse number 1, and God spake all these words, saying, God spoke to them. And to further back that up, it says, as he already read in verse number uh, 19, it says, uh, and Moses say, the people of Israel said unto Moses, speak thou with us and we will hear, let not God speak with us lest we die. Uh, lest we die. These children of Israel said, enough is enough. Well, we're scared out of our wits here. Moses, you're doing a pretty good job at talking with God. I think we'll take the back seat. Uh, we don't want to hear these frightening words whatsoever anymore. As I've studied the scriptures and looked throughout all the Bible, and besides uh, the words that Jesus says, who is, also, who, is, who is God, I can think of no other place in the Bible, no other place especially in the, New, in the Old Testament, where God speaks to a crowd this size as much as he does right here. There's no other place that I can find in, God's, in, in, in the Old Testament where God himself speaks, talks to the children of Israel, to anybody, as much, and to a crowd this size, as much as he does in verses 2 down to verse number 17. God has reserved his words most of the time to his prophets, to his priests, uh, to certain people. But in this case, he speaks to the whole nation for them all to hear. And afterwards, they're frightened, they're scared, and they're ready for God to stop. These Ten Commands are so well known in our society that uh, if you were to ask anybody, you probably would run across a few people that would be able to recognize a few of them. Um, Thou shalt not kill, right? That's probably what everybody knows. Thou shalt not uh, have bear false witness, or some might say, thou shalt not lie. Uh, you might even get somebody that might be able to say, well, uh, that we're not supposed to like, have any other gods before you. And, you, you, and all of these things are, are, are in ways in which God's commands to these people uh, that other people in this world know. But when you look at the Ten Commandments, you can break them down into just two simple commands. The first four... Your responsibility to God. Let me, just, let me just abbreviate them for you. Have no other gods before me. Don't worship any graven image. Don't take God's name in vain and honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Those four are in direction, are directional towards God. They're vertical, if you will. The, re- the other six are horizontal. Honor your parents. Don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. That's, vert- that's, that's, that's horizontal. So those commands are broken up in this way. And Jesus himself even broke it up in that way. Whenever he told the one Pharisee, he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment of all is to, what? Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, what? To love thy neighbor 
as thyself. These two laws, he said, hang all the laws and the prophets. So this evening, uh, it is my intent to go through this passage, but not so much in a way that we're going to study every law, but to see, as I said already, that we have a responsibility to hear and to obey the words of God. It's important that we understand these Ten Commands. But also understand this, that these Ten Commands that Moses is, or that God is laying out here for the children of Israel and the commands to follow are not just commands that will be reiterated perhaps later on in our New Testaments, but these are commands also that were for national Israel. You know that our country has different laws than, let's say, the country of Turkey, okay? Our law, we have different laws than the country of England. We have different laws in the country of Russia, okay? That's very simple to understand. Well, in this case right here, this is national Israel. They had their laws. But what was unique about their laws is that there was no Congress, there was no legislature, there was no king, or there was no queen, there was no president, there was nobody like that writing the laws down. It was God himself giving the law. It was God himself. God gave the laws to these people for the nation of Israel. For the nation of Israel. They were to live by these laws. In fact, as you read on in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, you'll find more laws that are added to these laws that, uh, that really go behind these laws and bolster these laws and build up these laws and, and add to these laws. But these laws were given for national Israel. They were given so that they might have a system of government to rule themselves by. The problem was this. Though they had the laws... And though they had the law of God, they broke every single law. Every one of them. As a nation. They didn't obey God. It didn't take them very long to get to that place either. It's only just a few generations after Moses that you find them in the book of Judges already uh, shedding off these laws and forgetting God. So, preacher, does this mean that we're free from the Ten Commandments now? I mean, I mean, it's national Israel, you know what I mean? I don't have to obey the laws of Turkey. I live in America, right? I don't live in Israel, so I don't have to obey uh, these particular laws. Well, the problem with is, is, that is, is, that, is that the majority of these laws and many of the other laws that you read in the, that you read in the law of God is that they're restated, reinstituted, and repurposed in the New Testament. Jesus talks about them. Jesus mentions them. Jesus teaches upon them. And so you can't say, well, they're no good for us anymore. What about those sacrificial laws? Are we to be offering calves and lambs and all those kinds of things anymore? Well, no. Jesus is the fulfillment of those laws. So there are certain laws that are fulfilled. There are certain laws that are reinstated. There are certain laws that are repurposed. There are certain laws that you realize that even in the Word of God, that Jesus actually not only uh, restated some of the laws, but he actually put more to the law. Put more to the law. What's about this one law, thou shalt not kill? That seems pretty easy. I don't know any murderers in our congregation. 
you know, we don't need any confessions uh, right now. If you'd like to, maybe later we can deal with that or anything. But I don't know any murderers here tonight, or any. But did Jesus say that do not kill? Did he say that is that enough? No. He said what also? He said it is not. He said, he said it is. He says you've, you've read it in your laws. Thou shalt not kill. But I say unto you, if any man hate, right? He broke it down to hate. He said you've already murdered somebody in your heart. Uh, he, he, tells, he tells them, uh, he, says, he says that you've, you've heard in your law that uh, you should not commit adultery, but anybody that would look upon a woman to lust has already, just a look, uh, would, uh, would already uh, have put it on, put it on them. Uh, they have already would have broken the law by doing, that, doing those kinds of things. So, uh, so Jesus, in some cases, adds to the law, makes it even harder uh, uh, for us. So understand that in these laws, these are responsibilities. We are responsible for what we hear in these laws. So number one, we ought to see this. What is our responsibility to God? What is our responsibility to God? Our responsibility to God is he lines it out for us in these uh, first uh, few verses that beginning in verse number three, or excuse me, beginning in verse number three all the way uh, down to about verse number 11. These right here outline our responsibility to God. Number one, have no other gods before me. You say, does the New Testament tell us that? It especially does. It doesn't take very long for Jesus to be tempted by Jesus in Matthew chapter number 4. And then he says to him, he says, fall down and worship me and I will give you all of these kingdoms the devil does to Jesus. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, no way, no sir, no how. Because the Bible says, if you will, the scripture says, it is written that thou uh, uh, thou shalt have no other gods before me. No other gods. We are all bound to this law. We should all realize that we should have no other gods before our God. One person said it like this. They said that the first law and the last law dealt with the heart. I like that. Because do you realize that you can have a God before the Lord God in your heart? In your heart? You can set up an idol in your heart. Ezekiel says to the, to the men of Israel, he says, he says, tear down the idols of your heart. You have an idol in your heart? Is there something that you put before God? Work? Family? Home? Car? Money? Fame? Fortune? Popularity? Is there something that you put before God that you say, they say, this is more important to me than God? Now, you might not say it like that. No, none of us in our right minds would say that, right? None of us in our right minds would say, this is more important to me than God. But do we live that way? How do we live? This is a heart issue that he's dealing with, is that we have no other gods before the Lord God Almighty. He is the God. He says, he says in, uh, in the book of Isaiah, he says, I know none other. I don't know of another God. I don't know of anybody else. And I'm for sure that I don't know of another God either. I don't know of any other God. Our responsibility to God is to, as he says, I, as he says have no other gods before me. Secondly, don't worship any other graven image. In the book of Acts, chapter number 17, in verse number 29, Paul is preaching 
And he says, he says to these, uh, to these, to these Gentiles. He says, he says, he's looking around at all these idols, and he says to says to him, he says, uh, at these times of ignorance, God did wink at. There was a time whenever God, uh, he kind of just winked, he kind of just turned a blind eye, if you will, sometimes to all of your idolatry and all of your graven images. He said, but not anymore. It's over with. It's done. We don't make any graven images to, about God, about a God. We don't bow down to them. Uh, God has uh, told us, he says that you, there was a time, he told us the Thessalonians, there was a time when you worshipped vain idols. Vain idols. And he says, there's no more of that. Put those things away. Get those things out of your homes. Get those things out of, out of your way. I would encourage you as Christians to not even, uh, you, see, you know, I know it's popular, popular decor sometimes to have the little Buddha statues, you know, and, and everything. But my friend, that is a graven image. That is a graven image. You say, well, I don't worship it. Well, other people do, okay? Uh, so realize that and understand that and believe that and see that. That, that is a representation of a little G-O-D, a little God, a little God. Be careful with these things. Understand that there is to be no graven image uh, that we are to make of God, make of the Lord. I would even tell you to be very careful with pictures of Jesus. Pictures of Jesus. Number one, none of us know what Jesus looked like. And for another, I can guarantee you this, that he wasn't a white man with long hair and an effeminate character, okay? That you see some in some of the pictures, all right? Jesus wasn't white. He was an Israelite, okay? Look at some of the Israelites and see what they look like. See what an, see what an Arab person looks like, okay? That's what Jesus looked like, all right? He wasn't anything spectacular. There wasn't anything about him that somebody would have said, oh, that's Jesus. No, he just looked like the everyday, ordinary person, all right? That's who Jesus was. Don't make any graven image of him. I was, in, uh, I was in a town close by here, and I was just sorely disappointed uh, that one, of the, one, of the, one, one church, and it was a Protestant-type church, that had built a, about a 40-foot statue tall of Jesus Christ. You know? And you say, well, that's, you know. But we can just be careful with these things. We don't need to make any graven image of them. I don't know what Jesus looked like. I don't know, have a clue what he looked like. I don't have a clue what God, I don't have a clue. We don't make, you know, make any graven images of him. Don't take God's name in vain. Uh, be careful with this. Matthew chapter number 5 tells us. He says, he reinstates this, puts this out there. He says, forswear not by thyself or by anything else. Uh, don't take God's name in vain. You, know, you ever heard somebody say this? You, ever heard, you say, well, I just swear to God. I swear to God. I, I'm going to do it. I swear to God. Well, how can you swear to God? How can you say that you're going to do this? How are you going to make a promise on, on God that you don't, you don't own God? You don't, got any, you don't got any real estate in God. You know what I'm saying? You don't own him. How can you make sure that you're going to do this? How do you know you might fall down and break your leg? Not be able to make an appointment. Be careful what you use your words with. Be careful how you use your words. Be careful how you forswear yourself and put yourself out there that you're not one of those that uh, just kind of says, well, I'm going to do this in the name of God, and I'm going to do this because I, I, I swear by heaven, I swear by earth, I swear by these things. No, my friend, just let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. If you're going to do something, do it. If you're not going to do it, then don't do it. 
Be careful with your words. These are our responsibilities to God. Honor the Sabbath. You know, I have no problem with that. You know, I have no, we all, I, there is, I love that we have Sundays, all right? Now, understand what I'm saying here. I don't believe, I don't believe Sunday is the new Sabbath, okay? I don't think that's the way it was set up or ordained in the Word of God. But I love a day that we have taken as a church and as churches throughout the ages. And we have said we're going to dedicate this day to the Lord. Do you know in the New Testament what they called this day? They called this the, anybody know it? The Lord's Day. They said this is the Lord's Day. We're going to honor God. We're going to honor the Lord on, on, on that particular day. We're going to honor God. And we need to be careful with that. Uh, you, know what the, you, know what the, you know what the Pharisees did, don't you, on their, on their Sabbath day? They added 39 laws uh, to their Sabbath. I read of one this afternoon I thought was rather interesting. Is that on the Sabbath day, they were not allowed, this was one of the laws they added, to tie a knot. But a lady could tie a knot in her girdle. So, in order to draw well from a water, if you did not tie the night before, tie the knot, knot, knot the night before to your bucket, then a lady would have to take off her girdle and then tie it to the well, to the to the bucket, and then she could draw the water out of the well with a girdle because you could tie a knot with a girdle. Okay, so you can kind of get an idea. You know what? We can do the same thing. Be careful. Be careful how you, how, you, how you add to these things. Be careful how you add to these things and put these things out there. And, uh, but we ought to honor the Lord. We ought to say, you know what, God, you are important enough that we are going to say, you know what, we're going to worship you. We're going to take some time out of our week when, uh, you know, uh, like some people that are in my neighborhood, they, they're out mowing their yards, you know what I mean? They're out, uh, they're, they're out running the boat, they're out doing other things, they're out doing this and doing that, but they're saying, you know what, we're going to take some time. And we're going to worship God, and we're going to, we're going to take some time and, and, and be in church, be with each other, and, and praise the Lord, and sing praises, and hear His Word. That's good. We're directing our responsibility, our worship, to God. We have a responsibility to God. Secondly, we have a responsibility to each other. You and I, as Christians, as believers, have a responsibility to each other. He tells us, honor your parents. You know what Jesus did? He reinstated that. He said, you ought to honor your parents. Children, you ought to honor your mother and father. I asked this morning, anybody know a promise of God? It was Caleb. He spoke up, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the earth. Any of you children listening in here? Amen. Y'all want to live a long time? Listen to mom and dad. Listen to what they say. Hear what they have to say. It's a promise of God. Don't be rebellious. Don't be stubborn. Don't, be, uh, don't think that you know it all, okay? Uh, you, uh, here's, the, here's the reality of it is that they've lived a lot longer than you have. They, 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 they understand. They realize it. They, they know what you're going through. Oh, they don't know what I'm going through. You know what? A 7-year-old has, has never been a 35-year-old, but a 35-year-old has been a 7-year-old, okay? Does that make sense? A 10-year-old has never been a 40-year-old, but I'll guarantee you this, is that a 40-year-old has been a 10-year-old, okay? A 17-year-old has never, has never been a 45-year-old, but a 45-year-old has been a 17-year-old at one time in their life. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the earth. Honor means, in, 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 the, in, in your case, that you're still living at home, that are still under your parents' roof. Guess what that means? Obey mom and dad. 
You know how you honor your parents whenever you're still living at home? Obey them. Listen to them. You know the Bible says? It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, Children, do you want to be teenagers? Do you want to be good Christian children? You know what? You want to honor God? Then honor your parents. Obey them. Listen to them. Respect them. Respect them. How many of you have seen uh, people, some, some people just throw respect out the door? Uh, may, I, may I encourage you parents? Encourage you parents, demand respect. Demand respect. You are mom and dad, okay? Don't ever forget that. You are mom, you are dad, and your children should respect you. You say, well, you don't know what I've done in my past. I don't care what you've done in your past. The Bible doesn't give any grace in that matter. It doesn't say, well, if you haven't been a good parent, then you don't deserve any honor, okay? It doesn't say that. It says, honor thy father and thy mother. Demand it. Say, I, I, deserve, I demand respect. I deserve respect because that's what God puts up in his word, sets out in his word. That's what it is. Now, parents, obviously, don't be an arrogant idiot or anything like that, okay? Uh, I was thinking some of some other words, but they won't be appropriate here this, this evening. But don't be arrogant about the thing. But, hey, you ought to say, you know what, I, I, I deserve respect. That's not proud. That's biblical, okay? Honor thy father and thy mother. And may I speak to all of us in here, all of us, all of us, all of us, because all of us have a mom or a dad or both. Honor thy father and thy mother. You should still, even as you get out of the house, honor and respect your mom and your dad. You ought to do it. You see, the Pharisees had said, they had said what? No, we don't need to do that anymore. You see, if we just give them some substantial gift, then we'll be okay. We'll be all right. We'll give them some substantial gift called Corbin. And once we give that substantial gift to them, we're free and clear. We don't have to honor mom and dad anymore. My friend, Jesus condemns that and says, no, that's not how it works. Not how it works. Honor thy father and thy mother. Don't kill. Amen. How many is glad for this law? Amen. I mean, before the flood, I mean, they were just killing each other just as they pleased. I mean, violence covered the face of the earth. Uh, 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 It was Cain that killed his brother Abel. It was Lamech that killed another man. And the Bible says that the violence just increased. I mean, people just killed each other. And you imagine just all of a sudden we were at Noah's Noah's Ark. Not the real Noah's Ark, but the one in Kentucky that Ken Ham built. Uh, but we were at that Noah's Ark up there, and they had a video, and it was just so real. Uh, there was these two contractors. It was a video that was fake, okay? It doesn't, it's not in the Bible, all right? Understand it was using some imagination here, okay? But it was two contractors that uh, Noah had hired to help him build the ark. And I don't see any problem with that. Noah could have done that if he wanted to. But here's the point. Those two contractors, they got in a fight, and they were about to kill each other in this video, over just because one wanted to use this material and another one. That's how it was in those days. People were just killing each other for no reason. Man, aren't we in a society like that today? Where people just pop their head out of a sunroof and just start shooting and blasting at people? It's just craziness. Well, we don't need the law of God anymore. We don't need to put them in our, in our courthouses anymore. Oh, really? Yeah. Let's see how that's working out for us, right? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not kill. Don't kill. Don't kill. 
But Romans chapter number 13 and verse number 9 says that if you love one another, then it will prevent you from killing, from murdering. Before I became a pastor, I used to wonder, how do people kill people? It used to really bother me. But now that I've been a pastor for now about 12 years, been in the ministry almost 17, is that I've dealt with enough people now to realize I can see how people can kill people. I can see it. I can see how people can get mad. They can get bitter. They can get upset. They get angry. And it just boils over. And one day, they come home, and something happens. There's a straw that breaks the camel's back, and they kill them. You say, does that happen to Christians? Yeah, it does. It does. That's why Jesus said you better be careful about the hate that's in your heart. Because that's where it all starts. It starts with hate, bitterness. Really, all of these commands are heart commands. It deals with that. Don't commit adultery. Don't commit adultery. That's very simple. Is that husband and wife ought to be faithful to one another. Jesus reiterates that in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. And he even adds to it and says, if you look upon a woman, a woman to lust, he says, you've already committed adultery within, within your heart. He says, don't do it. Don't do it. Understand that it's not, the outward, it's not the outward action that is the beginning of it. The beginning of it is in the inward. It starts here in the heart. Don't commit adultery. All of these things are heart commands. And I'll deal with that in just a second. Don't steal. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 28, he says what? He says, he that stole, let him steal no more. I mean, when I've talked to, I've talked to folks that, that were just complete heathens before they got saved. I mean, you, I, I mean I'm talking just complete heathens. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll tell you somebody right now who wouldn't mind me telling you he was a complete heathen. And that was uh, Brother Jeffrey Porter, a missionary to Zimbabwe. When he got saved, he told me this, and I don't think he'd mind me sharing. When he got saved, he had to go home. And get the stolen tools out of his closet and bring back to his boss. <laughs> he's worried he's going to lose his job, but thank the Lord his boss was the one that invited him to church. And he got saved at church from his boss's testimony. So it's kind of hard to fire the guy that just got saved at church, you know. And so, hey, when, whenever, whenever you're lost, I mean, if it's there and available, you know what? Let's hook up the trailer. Let's go. I mean, I mean, let's get it. Let's get her done. I mean, I, I mean, it's available. Let's do it. It's the five finger discount. I mean, we're going. We're, we're we're getting it, man. That's what it is. Whenever you're unsafe, but when you get saved, you say, you know what? Uh, uh-uh, not anymore. I'm done with done with that. I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to steal uh, your material. I'm not going to steal your time. Amen. I'm not going to cheat on a test. Can I get some ears on some teenagers and some and some uh, some 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 uh, young ones here, I'm not going to cheat on a test. You cheat on a test. You know what you've done? You've stolen. You stole from somebody else. You stole. 
You didn't come up with the answers, but you stole the answers from somebody else. And you know what? You, your parents might not see it, and they might not, your teacher might not see it, but God sees it. God sees it. Don't do it. Love God. You see, it all goes back to loving God, loving each other. And you're not going to steal because you don't want to hurt their neighbor. You don't want to hurt somebody else. You don't want to take away from them and disadvantage them. Don't lie. James 4.11 says, speak no evil of your neighbor. Uh, don't be a false accuser. Don't be a liar. Don't be one that speaks evil of one another and, and, and these kinds of things. And I could go on with these things. I, and, and I preached a whole sermon on, on the whole, on all, I preached a whole sermon series on the Ten Commandments. I preached on every single one of them. You can go back to sermon audio and read, read them all. Some I point now. I'm just kind of highlighting them because this is so important. And then he says what? Don't covet. Don't covet. Don't covet anything of your neighbors, no matter what it is. Covet is a strong desire. I want that. Why do they have it and I don't have it? I wish I had it. Why do they have it and I don't have it? I want that. I want that. What does covetousness lead us to? It leads us into lots of things. It could lead you into murder. I mean, it can lead you into jealousy. It can lead you into bitterness. It can lead you into stealing. It can lead you into adultery. It can, uh, it can lead you into lying. It can lead you into dishonoring your parents. I mean, it can lead you in all sorts of directions. It lead you into debt. I mean, it leads you into, uh, it leads you into uh, financial insecurity. Uh, coveting can. Be careful with these things. These are all the laws that God showed to the children of Israel and designed them to show them how they should live. And they have been reiterated for us just like Jesus says in Luke 12, 15. He says, beware of covetousness. What is your responsibility today then? You say, to obey the law of God. Can I tell you this? Your number one responsibility is this. Is to measure yourself up to these ten laws. And say, do I measure up? Have I kept every one of them to the T? That's your number one responsibility. Do you know what the law of God was there for? It is there to show us our sin. Do you measure up? Which one of these laws have you kept perfectly? One? Two? All ten? You've never lied. Never stole anything? You've always put God first in your life, right? Every single time. Right? You've honored every single Sabbath? No, see, we, we've fallen and we've failed. I wouldn't say one out of ten. I'd say we've failed every single one of them. All ten of them. Your number one responsibility is this. is not to say, I need to obey the law of God. Your number one responsibility is to say, who has obeyed every one of them? Who can obey Every one of them. And can I tell you who has? Jesus Christ our Lord. He obeyed the law perfectly. And your number one responsibility is to look to God and to realize I have failed in every single one of these. 
And that salvation truly begins with God. It begins with Him. It begins with seeing. You see, I totally skipped by it on purpose, but look at verse number 2. What does it say? I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Did you see that? Before ever God ever gave them their laws, what did He say? I brought you out of Egypt. I saved you. And before you can ever obey one law, then you've got to understand this, that there was only one that obeyed all the law. And that was Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation starts with God. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, He says, condemned sin in the flesh. Our requirement today is this, is to understand that we are not saved by the law. That we can't live up to the law. But there has been one that has been that has lived up to it, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. And He is the only one that can truly save us. And then once we are saved, once you are saved, now He tells us that our responsibility is to hear the Word of God and to do it. It says in James 1.21, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness, and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. You see, it's the word of God, Jesus Christ. He saves you. Then he says, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. If you're saved tonight, what is your response to the law of God? Are you afraid of it? Are you scared? Do you not want to hear anymore? Have you heard enough? Do you want to say enough is enough? I've heard enough. I don't want to hear anymore. Are you like the children of Israel who failed in every aspect of the law, but yet they said, uh, okay, we hear you. Uh, can you go away now? I hope that's not your attitude in this service this evening. All right, I've heard enough, preacher. You can stop harping, stop meddling, get off my cheating at school, okay? We're done with that. You can stay off that for a while now, I'm good. They said, speak thou with us and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. I hope rather your attitude is, as he says in 3 John 1.11, beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. People that are saved have seen God. Not physically, don't get me wrong, but spiritually with their hearts. They've seen there's been one that's kept the law perfectly, that died for their sins, was buried and rose again the third day. And that one that they want to love so much and honor with their lives, they have a desire to do what is right. They have a desire to follow the Word of God. Are there areas that you fail in? Is there something maybe tonight out of these short list of commands that you're still not meeting up to the standard of as a Christian? You're not obeying perfectly? 
Do you recognize that? Do you want that to change? Let that be an assurance to your heart. Let that be an assurance to your heart that God is working in your heart. But don't let it stay there. If you've seen something in your heart tonight that you know is not right with God, then would you go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. And Lord, I repent. I repent, God. I repent of my sin. And Lord, help me to change. Is that your attitude? Or is your attitude one of the children of Israel? I've heard enough. I'm good. Let's say the amen and be out of here. Friend, I hope it's not that way. I hope it's not that way at all. But I hope as a true Christian and believer in Christ, you would say, I want to be right with God. I want to live for the Lord. I am responsible to do what God has told me to do. And now I want to do it. Father, we're thankful for the word of God.